Hi, I'd like to welcome you to our show. I'm your host, Prang Medic. We're talking about life as a child of God and all things related to his kingdom. Thanks for joining us. If you're a new listener to the show, you can find articles and books and other resources on my website, www.prangmedic.com. Now let's jump into this week's show. What is going on, everybody? Supernatural Saturday. We're going to talk about healing, seeing in the Spirit, hearing God's voice, and traveling in the Spirit. Those are the four books that I've written so far in my series, um, The The Kingdom of God Made Simple. And I was asked to teach on those subjects today. So i got to join the uh, the Zoom chat here. Hey, my friend Abdel Salam is on here. How you doing, buddy? My friend Abdel, he's a doctor who lives down in Florida. He has been seeing people healed like crazy lately. Um, he's he's in my class, my healing class, and he, amazing things are happening. Let me start out with seeing in the spirit first, because if you don't understand seeing in the spirit, it's really difficult to perceive what it's like when you're traveling in the spirit. In my book, um, Seeing in the Spirit Made Simple, the basic thesis of that book is that most of us, if not all of us, are already seeing in the Spirit. We just don't know it. And unlike what is taught by many teachers and many leaders in the church today, who will say that seeing in the Spirit is some spiritual gift, a special anointing, some special thing you have to have. I don't believe that's true. And the reason I don't believe that's true is we are a spirit created by God. We are temporarily living in a physical body. We possess a soul. And the soul, in, in the way I understand it, is a communicating point between our spirit and our physical body. So whatever, whatever our spirit senses in the spiritual world, it's conveyed through our mind to our soul so that our physical body can react to it. One of the things that we'll talk about later in this message is traveling in the spirit. But I want to lay down the, the simple kind of a uh, foundational idea, and that is that Because we are primarily a spirit being, we have our existence in the spiritual world or the spiritual realm or the spiritual universe, whatever you want to refer to it as. When God created us as a spirit in heaven, that is where we first existed. We then were brought down, our spirit came down into the earth realm and we inhabited a physical body. But our primary existence is in the spiritual world. So every person who who, their spirit is able to see in the spiritual world. You have spiritual eyes. All of the physical senses that you have, the senses of sight, hearing, touch, smell, taste, 
your spirit has an analogous set of senses. Your spirit can see in the spirit. Your spirit can feel things in the spirit. You can smell things in the spirit. Your spirit lives in the spiritual world 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It never stops living in the spiritual world. It's not like when you have a vision and you see something in the spiritual world or angel or a demon or a dream in the spiritual world. It's not like your spirit suddenly pops back into existence and now you're seeing in the spirit again. You are always eternally perceiving and interacting with beings in the spiritual world. All the time. It never stops. The problem that a lot of us have is our soul, our mind, does not perceive what our spirit is experiencing. So seeing in the spirit and hearing in the spirit, hearing God's voice, hearing angels, hearing demons, hearing all these spiritual beings is not really an issue of obtaining some special anointing or getting an impartation from someone. It is a matter of training your mind and your soul to focus on what your spirit is already perceiving in the spiritual world. So that is essentially the problem that a lot of people have. It's an issue of perception and focus. If we would be able to perceive more accurately and focus on what our spirit is perceiving and sensing and interacting with in the spiritual world, we would be much more in tune to angels and demons and Jesus and all these other beings that live in the spiritual world. So what I recommend people do is lots and lots of exercises and practice so that you learn to engage the spiritual world. Uh, Mike Parsons is a really good teacher on this subject. Mike has a lot of uh, YouTube videos where he mentors people on perceiving the spiritual world. He has a lot of activations, which are essentially just exercises. And the exercises are designed to get give you some time that you set aside where you are focused on and engaging the spiritual world instead of the natural world. It's essentially what we're getting down to here in this discussion. What is your mind focused on? What are you engaging? Whatever you focus on, whatever you engage, that tends to become the reality that you perceive. It's what you focus on. Seeing more accurately in the spiritual world is an issue of spending time focusing on the spiritual world. There's the question, how do you perceive angels and demons and Jesus and God the Father and the spiritual world, the different realms of eternity, how do you perceive them? You perceive them in your mind. Your spirit has spiritual eyes and spiritual ears. So let's just stick right now with spiritual eyes and spiritual ears. We all have a spirit. We all have spiritual eyes and spiritual ears. We can all see in the spirit. We can all hear in the spirit. The question is, what are you hearing and what are you seeing? And how do you perceive that? 
You perceive it in your mind. When your spirit is standing in front of an angel, and just to let you know, we all have angels around us all the time. We're surrounded by angels in the spiritual world. Generally, your angels stand behind you, which is why a lot of people don't see them. (laughs) if, If you run into somebody who is able to perceive your angels, they're generally going to tell you, oh, look at your angels. They're standing behind you. I see this really tall one over here, and here's another one over here, and they'll describe what they look like. But generally, they stand behind you because they don't want to distract you from what you're supposed to be seeing. They don't want to be a distraction. The angels don't want to be like the main focus. So generally, your angels are behind you. If you want to see them, turn around and look and look in the spiritual world and you might see them. I, I have seen four angels around me at, at one point. Let me give you some understanding of how that works. How do you see angels? How do you see in the spiritual world? We have a place in our mind that is commonly called our imagination. Now, the imagination has gotten a bad rap because we tend to think of the imagination as a place where we conjure up and create ideas and images and people in our mind that are not real. Well, that part of your mind that we call the imagination is actually the projection screen in your mind where the events and things in the spiritual world are broadcast, screencasted onto that little TV screen in your mind. When you see angels in the spiritual world, they are projected on that screen in your mind that you call your imagination. So if you see a flash of this being of light moving in front of you out of the corner of your eye, And you wonder to yourself, what was that flash that that I saw this ray of light just moving around the room in front of me? There's a good chance that you saw an angel. Your spirit saw it and projected it in your mind as an image of a ray of light moving through the room. And you may have perceived it, but didn't know what it was. So you dismiss it as nothing big, no big deal. Many times, the appearance of angels and demons... Demons often appear as shadowy figures that move through the landscape around you. You might just see this dark shadowy figure. If you're perceiving demons, that's typically how you might perceive them. If you're perceiving angels, they often appear as a ray or a beam or shaft of light, a ray of color. Sometimes they look like colorful ribbons, swirls of light, spheres, circles that are of color. Angels can manifest in many different ways. They are primarily beings of light. That's how we perceive them. You see them in your mind as these flashes of light. That is how we perceive generally in the spiritual world. You see it in your mind. What the problem is many times when you see these things, you think, oh, that's just a figment of my imagination. It's not real. But most of the time it is real. You are actually seeing an angel. You're actually seeing an evil spirit. You're actually seeing some structure in the spiritual world. So um, the, the key, number one, to being able to perceive more accurately things in the spiritual world is first recognize 
that many times you're actually seeing something in the spiritual world as a flash or an image in your mind. And when you see it, don't dismiss it. Don't write it off as just your imagination. You have to get in a mindset and get in the habit of looking at these things and not dismissing them as just your imagination. You have to start to think, okay, this could be a real angel or a demon or whatever. That's number one. Now, many times when I want to see in the spiritual world, when I'm praying for someone to be healed, many times I close my eyes. And the reason I close my eyes is the background of the world around you often becomes a distraction. So if you're not able to see really well in the spiritual world, try closing your eyes and just settle down your, your soul, calm down, get rid of, try to get rid of the, um, the racing thoughts in your mind. Now, I'm not talking about meditation and I'm not talking about emptying your mind and I'm not talking about any of that stuff. But a good exercise that you can do to learn how to see more accurately in the spiritual world. It helps to be in a quiet place where there's not a lot of noise and distractions. You don't want your mind to be distracted by anything out there in the physical world. So whether it's noises or lights or machinery that's moving around or people that are walking and talking, if you're beginning and you you want to learn how to do this, get in a quiet place. Uh, Denise and I, my, my wife... We often will do these exercises at night as we're getting ready to go to bed. And this is something I learned from my friend Mike Van Vlyman. He has a book called How to See in the Spirit. It's similar to my book, um, Seeing in the Spirit Made Simple. My wife Denise never saw in the spirit. She never saw visions. She never saw demons. She, we read Mike Van Vlyman's book, and he recommended doing these exercises every night. Where as you're laying down at night to go to bed, take 10 or 15 minutes and look into the room around you with a little bit of light coming into the room. Not much. Usually if you have blinds on your windows, if there's a street light outside that is shining in a little bit of light, that is just enough light to slightly illuminate the room so you can see things inside of it. But what we would do is we would lay in bed and we'd focus on the space between us and the wall on the other side of the room. And you're looking into this space. Now, I I know this sounds stupid. I know it sounds crazy. But if you look into the space between you and the wall on the other side of the room and just stare at it, just stare. Let your mind focus on the space in between. What you're doing is you're in a low light situation. There's nothing moving. There's no sounds. There's no distractions. You're trying to get into a place in your mind where there aren't any distractions. If there are no distractions in the physical world, you're much more likely to start perceiving what your spirit is seeing in the spiritual world. And that's the key. The key is to perceive in your mind what your spirit is seeing. And the best way to do that is get rid of the distractions. The distractions are gone. You're going to see in the spiritual world. So Denise and I started doing these exercises and didn't take very long. One night she said, it might have been the second night we were doing it. She said, do you see what I see? 
And I said, what do you see? She goes, I see these little black or brown fans spinning in the air on the other side of the room. And there, she just said they're just little tiny fans, like fan blades, just rotating in the spiritual world. She just saw them, lots of them, like a dozen or 15 of them. And I just focused my eyes for a few minutes, and then I saw them too. I saw exactly what she was seeing. So I think it might have been the next night. We were doing this exercise. It's at night, going to bed. She's looking into the room, and she sees smoke trails coming up from the floor next to us. Just these wisps of gray smoke trailing up from the floor around our bed. And she said, honey, are you seeing what I'm seeing? And I said, what are you seeing? She said, I'm seeing these like gray, like smokes, like from a campfire or something. There's these thin gray smoke trails coming up from the floor all around her bed. So I just focused myself, looked at the space around the bed. And within five minutes, I was seeing the exact same thing she was seeing. So if two people are seeing the same thing in the spiritual world, there's a very good likelihood that it's not your imagination. That <laughs> it, is, it is real, and you're seeing it. Now, if you want to know what the smoke trails were about, Denise asked the Lord, what are these smoke trails all about? And she said, I, I heard the Lord say, where there's smoke, there's fire. Fire of the Spirit, fire of the Holy Spirit. She has learned to see in the Spirit by doing exercises. She... Just did these night after night, and she did these exercises. We'd turn the lights down, dark room, and we just we would see things. We just started seeing things in the spiritual world. Uh, one night we were laying there in bed, and we're looking at the ceiling. And Denise goes, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe that! That's crazy! I can see all the stars." The ceiling had disappeared. For her, she could not see the ceiling anymore. She saw the stars out there. So I just kept looking and kept looking and kept looking. And like that, the ceiling disappeared. And then I saw the stars. It was the craziest thing. It was like being in a room with no roof. We just saw right out into the sky, into the night sky. It was very natural. This is just an example of how you can learn to see in the spirit. And the people who have read my book, um, Seeing in the Spirit Made Simple, they've given me feedback. Some of them have said, look, the exercises that you have at the end of the chapters, that's 75% of the book. You have to do these exercises. People have come, wrote, written back to me and said, I started doing the exercises, and that's when I started seeing in the Spirit. Just reading a book isn't going to help you. You have to do the exercises. You have to engage the spiritual world. If you don't see angels and demons, and you don't see the invisible realm, one way to do that is to start doing exercises just at night when, before you go to bed. Lay down, get into a dark room, and just focus on the space between you and the wall on the other side. And do that night after night after night, and you will start seeing into the spiritual world. At first, what you're going to see, it could be anything. You could, you could literally see anything, and I don't want to give you suggestions and ideas about what you're going to see, but you will see things. And if you keep on doing it, you're going to see more and more different things, different 
beings, you'll see different realms, you'll see different places. There is nothing to be afraid of when you're seeing in the spirit. Blake Healy wrote a book called The Veil. And unfortunately, it's no longer being published by the publishing company. You can still get it on Amazon, but it's quite expensive. It's being sold through secondary markets. It's a really good book because Blake, uh, he's a forerunner in the realm of seeing in the spirit. Blake shares his life story of being what some people would call a seer. Blake was born with a highly developed ability to see in the spirit. So from the time he was a young child, he has always seen demons and angels. He would go to school and he would see dragons, huge dragons flying through the sky. He would see massive angels at the doors guarding schools. Every time he'd go to school, he would see these angels standing around the schools. He had always had this ability to see in the spirit. And he assumed everyone else had the ability, but they didn't. When he was a child, he would have nightmares and dreams of demons all night long. He would, and even before he went to sleep, he would see demons surrounding him in his bed. He would see these evil spirits. He would hear them. They would be taunting him. And this is just because he had a very highly developed ability to see in the spirit. Not everybody does, but some people do. The reason why some people have a highly developed ability to see in the spirit is because they are what I call a forerunner. A forerunner is an explorer who has goes to the farthest extent of what's possible and they show the rest of us what can be done, what's possible if we develop our abilities. Blake had was born with a highly developed ability to see in the spirit. He had lots of interactions with angels, still does. When he got older, he got into a church that actually taught him about seeing in the spirit and what you can do with it and how it can help you when you're doing healing and deliverance ministry. So he started, when he would see somebody who needed healing, he would see demonic devices attached to these people. He would see evil spirits attacking them. And because he could see these evil spirits. He could see the demonic devices. He could remove them and he could direct angels to assist and get rid of these different things. A lot of people are frightened at first when they see demons, but you have to understand something. Fear is an emotion that paralyzes you. And if you respond in fear to demons, you're doing exactly what they want you to do. Demons are all about creating fear. One of their strongest weapons is fear. Demons appear the way they do because they want to strike fear in your heart. When you see when you see a demon for what it really is, you wouldn't be afraid of it. But many demons change their appearance the way they appear to us. They change it to look more fearsome and terrible because they want to create fear. It is nothing but psyops. It's a it's psychological warfare. Demons appear big, disgusting, nasty because they want you to be afraid of them. But if you push past the fear of seeing demons and ask the Holy Spirit to show you what they really are, sometimes you will see behind the mask of the demon and you realize it's not that big, it's not that bad, and it's not that powerful. 
They're just very good imposters. So if you're afraid of seeing demons, if you have some fear of seeing in the spiritual world, just realize there is nothing to be afraid of. Jesus has given us authority and power that is greater than the power that demons have. If you learn about your authority and start to exercise that authority, you can command demons to leave. You can command demons to do a lot of different things and they will obey you. Part one is seeing in the spirit. Part two is what do you do with the information that you have? When you start seeing in the spirit and you start seeing demons and demonic devices on people and you start seeing angels, now the next question is what do you do? You have information, but you have to use it. What are you going to do with that information? When you start seeing demons, you have to realize you're seeing them for a reason. If you see demons on people, harassing people, tormenting people, you're seeing them because you're supposed to get rid of them. You're supposed to command them to leave. That's why you're seeing them. That's why God reveals it, so that he can have us deal with it. I, I use the analogy sometimes that demons are a little bit like bugs. Mosquitoes, June bugs, whatever you want to call them. They're all over the place. They're everywhere. If you were able to see into the spiritual world, you would see demons all over the place. And angels. You'd see them all over. They're as numerous as the humans that are around us. They're everywhere. You, you really can't avoid them. But once you get red-pilled and you start to see them, then you realize, wow, I got to do something about these critters. They're, you know, they're, they're harassing my friends and they're harassing my family and they're making people sick and they're tormenting people, giving them bad dreams. Maybe I need to do something about that. Maybe I need to do a little bit of warfare. Consider the fact that when you start to see demons, God is showing you something he wants you to deal with. Then it becomes fun. Because at that point, you're going on the offensive. You'll start to see in the spirit. You'll start to see demons. You'll start to see angels. And then you need to start interacting. You need to ask the angels to assist you in dealing with the demons. That is where ministry gets fun. We've talked a little bit about seeing in the spirit. Hearing in the spirit is not much different. Hearing the voice of God, hearing angels, hearing demons is very similar. The process of learning how to perceive those spiritual beings is very similar. It comes down to focusing your mind, focusing your attention on what you're hearing in the spiritual world and blocking out what you're hearing in the natural world. And how do you do that? Well, same way you do for seeing in the spirit. You get alone in a quiet place you shut out the outside noises in the physical world, the TV, the radio, the computer, your phone, you shut out the distractions. When you shut out those distractions that are asking for your attention, you will begin to hear in your mind other voices speaking. We're not talking about schizophrenia. <laughs> Although... If you tell people that you're hearing other voices, they may tell you that you're schizophrenic. However, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. They know me and I know them and they obey me. So if you're not hearing the voice of Jesus, 
Um, that's a problem. If you're, if you're one of his followers, you should be hearing his voice. Jesus generally speaks through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is connected to our spirit, and the Spirit of God allows us, gives us the ability to hear what God is saying. Now, Jesus can speak to you personally, face-to-face. He can also speak through the Holy Spirit, either way. But God speaks in many ways. <laughs> I'm just going to say that, too. God doesn't just speak through a voice that you hear in your, in your, in your mind. He speaks through circumstances of our life. He speaks through film. He speaks through art. He speaks through the weather. Although God is not punishing us through these storms and the earthquakes. Actually, if you look in the Bible, in in the book of Revelation, John said, I saw four angels that were holding up the four corners of the earth, and they were holding the four winds and so that the winds would not blow upon the earth. These were angels. Angels are able to affect changes in the weather. Both good angels and evil fallen angels can affect the weather. There are many different types of angels. Seraphim and cherubim are the two that most people are familiar with. There are also many other types of angels. There's ranks and orders of angels. Um, They're referred to as powers, principalities, thrones, dominions. There's many different uh, names for angelic powers in the Bible, and they all have different levels of authority and different ranks and different things that they do. And some angels are responsible for controlling the weather. There are evil, fallen angels inhabiting high places in the spiritual world. They are controlling the weather. These hurricanes that we are going through right now are largely a result of fallen angels, principalities generally that are controlling weather systems in a way so as to cause destruction and death in the earth. The the weather systems that cause death are not the wrath of God. They are caused by demonic, fallen angels and principalities, powers, thrones, and dominions that have installed themselves in places, in the heavenly places, and they're controlling weather systems. And our job is to do warfare against them from the heavenly realms in where we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. We have been seated far above thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. We have the ability and we have a place of authority greater than them. And what we're supposed to do is take our seat of authority and defeat these demonic principalities and powers dispossess them, kick them out, and change the weather in a way that's not going to cause death and destruction. This is something we are supposed to be doing. Jesus demonstrated that in the Gospels when disciples, they're in the boat, middle of the night, storm comes up, and if a lot of current day church pastors were watching the disciples in the boat as it was being tossed about by a storm, what would the pastors say? They would say, oh, the disciples made God angry and God is judging them and God is pouring out his wrath on the disciples and he's going to let them drown in that boat because they are sinners and they didn't repent, right? Because what are you hearing from a lot of pastors about the storms and earthquakes? Oh, it's God's judgment. It's God's wrath. 
God's angry, so people are going to have to die. Jesus was in the boat with the disciples. And Jesus didn't tell the disciples, God's judging you. He's going to let you die. Jesus got up from the boat and he looked at the disciples and said, Oh, ye of little faith, what's your problem? Why don't you speak peace to the storm? Why don't you calm the storm? They wouldn't do it, so he did. He spoke peace. He calmed the storm and settled it down. He was demonstrating a principle of the kingdom. God is not in these storms trying to kill people. (laughs) He wants us to speak peace and calm these storms. That was what he was demonstrating. And a lot of people in the church today have not yet figured that out. Jesus said, The Son does nothing of himself, but only what he sees the Father doing. So the Father told Jesus, Calm that storm. That is a demonically inspired storm. Calm that thing down so it doesn't kill the disciples. So Jesus did it because the Father told him to do it. The Father is telling us to do the same thing today. He's telling us to speak peace to these storms. And the question is, when are we going to exercise our authority and do the things that Jesus did? And when are we going to stop telling the world that God is angry at them and judging them and killing them? That It's a serious problem. Seeing in the Spirit and hearing in the Spirit, hearing God's voice, is step one. We are perceiving what God is saying. We're perceiving what angels are saying. We're able to perceive what demons are saying. How do we do that? Through our mind. So our spirit has spiritual ears. We have ears, spiritual ears that can hear angels, hear demons, that can hear the Holy Spirit. The problem is background noise. So you get rid of the background noise and you learn to focus on what your spirit is hearing, and it comes into your mind generally through thoughts. God speaks in many different ways. Some people perceive the communication of God through their emotions. Some people perceive what God is saying through visions. Some people perceive what he is saying through thoughts that they hear in their mind. Some people say, I heard the audible voice of God. That's rare. Most people who are hearing God on a regular basis, they hear God in their thoughts. And if you're wondering how you can know, If something that you're seeing or hearing is you or is a God, I'll talk about that in just a minute. So in the same way that we see demons and angels projected on the screen in our mind, which we call our imagination, even though you're not imagining it, in the same way, we perceive the thoughts, we perceive the voice of the Holy Spirit as thoughts in our mind or as sensations on our skin. When... And angels get around me, I often perceive them as this strange sensation on my skin. We call it the glory or God's presence. Angels carry the glory and the presence of God because they are often in the presence of God. It's like standing around a campfire and then going over to somebody and touching them. And they go, wow, you're really hot. Why are you hot? Well, because I've been standing in front of a campfire. When you stand in front of a campfire, you get hot. When you stand in God's presence, you absorb his glory. And if you're an angel and you've been in God's presence and you come into the earth realm, you're carrying the glory of God. And when an angel gets around you, you will feel this radiation of glory coming off of the angel. And it's a tangible thing that your spirit can feel it. So you can perceive the presence of angels through the glory. 
You can perceive the things that they say that you hear as thoughts in your mind. Same with demons. Same with the Holy Spirit. You perceive many times the communications in the spiritual world through thoughts. The issue again is learning to focus on what you're perceiving. What are you hearing? Those thoughts. One of the keys in learning to hear in the spiritual world is learning to discern the difference between your thoughts and the thoughts of God. And the, the best way to do that is to become very, very familiar with your own thoughts. You, you need to learn and understand the way in which you think. What do your thoughts sound like? What is your personality? How does it affect your thought life? What is the, the normal pattern of your own thoughts? Once you understand your own way of thinking, when God speaks to you, you're going to recognize that thought and go, wow, that was not a thought that came from me. I just, I know how I think, and that thought came from somewhere else. That was not me. Now, James, this friend of mine who lives in Hawaii, he'll be driving home uh, from work, and he's on Periscope, and he's just talking to people on Periscope. And he gets these thoughts that just drop into his mind. And he starts talking to us uh, as he's periscoping. And he's like, you know, I'm not a preacher. I'm not, I don't have a you know, degree in theology or anything. But I'm, I'm pretty sure this is what God is saying. And he starts telling us what he's hearing. And he knows that he's hearing God because he knows his own thoughts. And he's like, I don't know where this came from. It definitely wasn't me saying this. So one of the keys in learning how to discern the difference between the voice of God and your own thoughts is knowing what your thoughts sound like. Hearing those thoughts and realizing, wow, that was definitely not me. Again, it comes down to practice. You practice getting alone, get quiet, and let those thoughts come to you and ask God to talk to you and give you ideas. And, get, and For me, it, it eventually just develops into a conversation. When I'm writing a book, I'll sit at my computer and I have an idea in my mind what I want to write about. And I'll sit down and I'll start to write. And I'll have kind of a general idea of this is the subject I want to write about. And I'll start writing. As I'm writing and thinking about this subject, an idea comes to me. And I think, oh, wow, that's a really good idea. I'm going to write that down. So I write it down. And then a related idea comes to me. It's connected. It's a further revelation of what I just thought about. And I think, oh, that's another good idea. I'm going to write that down. And then another thought comes, and it takes that, that whole thought process one step further. And I write that down. And then I have this thing that's brought to my memory, which is an event. It's a testimony of something that happened that was related to what I'm writing about. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I had this experience. And that kind of illustrates what I'm talking about. So I'll write down the experience. And then I'll have another thought. And I write that down. And after I do that for about an hour or two, I'll come up with an entire chapter for a book. And the crazy thing is, I didn't know any of this stuff when I started to write. When I sat down at my computer, I didn't know any of it. Many of the things that I write down, I don't understand prior to sitting down at the computer and starting to write. What happens is, as I write, the Holy Spirit is conversing with me and he's saying, look, here's how this works. Here's how that works. Here is how I do this and here's how I do that. And when you had this experience and when you had this dream, this is what I was doing. This is what I was showing you. He starts to connect all these little dots in my life 
and he makes sense of it. And it becomes this chapter in a book that honestly, when I sat down to write, I had no idea half of the information. I didn't know it. That is how God speaks to people who are creative. If Whether you're an artist or a, a composer or a writer, you will stand in front of a canvas or you'll sit at your piano or you'll sit at your computer if you're writing, if you're a creative person, and you will just start to create things. And you'll get these images in your mind and you'll get these thoughts in your head and you'll just start creating. <laughs> and you'll create, create and go, wow, that's actually pretty good. See that painting behind me right there? That's a painting that my wife did. When she started to paint, she did not know what she was going to paint. She just started to get some images in her mind. And she started to put the paint on and she started to layer and she put in words. There's actually words in texture on that painting. And the colors developed. When she started, she didn't really know what it was going to look like. But God inspired her all the way through the process to create this painting that has had quite a dramatic effect on some people. Some people who have looked at that painting, God's presence has come upon them and done some amazing work in them just by looking at that painting. That is how God speaks through art. He can speak through film. He can speak through nature. He can speak through a lot of different things. It's just a matter of perceiving what it is that God is saying Blocking out the distractions, blocking out the noises, blocking out the physical world, and focusing on what we're seeing and hearing in the spiritual world. I'm going to transition. I'll talk a little bit about healing, and then we'll talk about traveling in the Spirit. One of the main things, if you look through the Gospels and read about the life of Jesus, I mean, there's a lot of different things you can get from the life of Jesus in the Gospels, but one thing you notice he did a lot was healing. Wherever he went... Wherever Jesus was teaching, you know, whether he was in the synagogue on the Sabbath or whether he was out, you know, on the mountainsides, he was always healing people. He's healing and kicking out demons and setting people free. In numerous passages, it says that he healed entire villages of all their sickness and disease. Jesus was really into healing and deliverance. When the Lord told me he wanted me to start praying for my patients so they could be healed. I had been studying the Bible for seven years, but I never really focused on and appreciated how much Jesus was interested in healing. When God started talking to me about healing, I read the scriptures with a whole new set of eyes. And I realized, wow, he was healing people everywhere. He was really, really into healing. So I have been writing and teaching on healing for years now. Denise and I have probably seen over 10,000 people healed in the last nine years. We've prayed for a lot of people. And the dynamic of healing, physical healing, in, in a sense, it is simple. In another sense, it is quite complex. Sometimes you can get a person physically healed of a condition by simply believing that they're going to be healed, going over and commanding a spirit of pain to leave. I do that very often. I've learned through experience that a lot of people have chronic pain because they simply have a spirit of pain that is attached to them. I often see these as little swirling black area. They say they have a sore shoulder or they have neck pain. 
sometimes I'll close my eyes and I'll look in the spirit and I just see this swirling black area on their neck. And I've learned that when I see that, that's typically an indication that there's a spirit of pain there. So I just command the spirit of pain to leave and the pain is gone like that. One real easy way to get people healed is to look for and perceive spirits of pain that are there and just command them to leave. That's one way. But it's not the only way. <laughs> there, are, there are many different ways to get people healed. Healing is essentially a, a matter of realizing that we have a lot of tools that God has given us and we have to learn how to use those tools effectively. So Jesus told his disciples, and this is in Matthew chapter 10, as soon as he chose the 12 disciples, he told them, I want you to go out and I want you to heal the sick, cast out demons, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, proclaim the kingdom. Five things. He said, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy. Authority to heal the sick. So one of the aspects of healing is authority. And authority is generally used for somebody who has a spirit that needs to be removed. If it's a spirit of infirmity, if it's a spirit of sickness, if it's a spirit of pain, you exercise authority by commanding that spirit to leave. That is an example of exercising authority. But we also have power. In Acts chapter 1, after Jesus had uh, risen from the dead, he said, Do not go out, but wait for the promise of the Father. When this Holy Spirit comes, you will be endued with power from on high. So the disciples waited in the upper room. The Holy Spirit came upon them. They spoke in tongues, flames of fire on their head, and they received power. What is power? Power is energy. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We have the power of God, the same power that created the universe, the same power that raised people from the dead. We have that power living inside of us. So one of the aspects of healing is authority, exercising authority. Another aspect of healing is releasing power. We are something like a dam, a big dam that has water behind it. What a dam does is it opens up a gate and it lets the water flow out. When we want somebody to be um, healed using power, what we're doing is we're opening up ourselves, our container, our vessel that contains the power of the Holy Spirit, and we're allowing that power to flow out of us. Jesus said, He who believes in me, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit is oftentimes portrayed in the Bible as water, as a river, river of life. We are supposed to have flowing out of us the river of life, the river of God. It's supposed to flow out of us so that sick people are healed when they get around us. And yes, I've seen that happen. I have been around people who were sick and I didn't pray for them, didn't do anything. Just being around them, the power of God flowed out of me and healed them and they sensed it and noticed it. That becomes a lifestyle where you learn how to release the power of God and it's done by faith. 
So the, the essential building blocks of healing are power, authority, and faith. There are other things involved. There is emotional healing, forgiveness, and things of that nature. But for the most part, healing, if, if you want to get a good understanding of healing, get an understanding of power, authority, and faith. Power is the power of God that we release. Authority is we exercise authority. We command tumors to leave. We command evil spirits to leave. We command broken bones to be healed. That's an exercise of authority. How you do that is faith. Faith is like the trigger that opens the dam that lets the power out. Faith is what we used when we exercise authority. Jesus often rebuked the disciples for unbelief. O ye of little faith, right? So what Jesus was trying to get his disciples to understand is you have to simply believe that when you command this spirit to leave, when you want this person to be healed, you have to believe and have faith that when you do it, it's going to happen. Faith activates authority and it releases power. For most people, faith starts out small, but it grows. My friend, Abdel Salam, who is on the Zoom chat, is he, he's trained as a doctor. He was trained in Cuba as a doctor. He lives in the States and he's working at a med, as a medical assistant. He is he's signed up in my class, my healing class online. And he's he is growing and growing in leaps and bounds. When I first contacted him on Facebook a couple months ago, he was starting to step out, starting to pray for people. He was seeing a few people healed. But he didn't have a lot of experience and didn't have a lot of history with God in the in the miraculous. But the more he has prayed for people, he is starting to see bigger and bigger miracles. He's starting to see greater things. He posted a testimony on Facebook of a woman who had cancer, uh, breast cancer that metastasized to her lymph nodes. And they did scans and tests and things. And she was it was progressing very rapidly. He prayed for her. And the latest scans show that most of the uh, areas that have been metastasized are now, there's no cancer there. There's still some very small uh, nodules of cancer, but most of it is gone. And he's just going to keep on going after that and praying for this woman probably. And eventually she'll be healed. I've seen a lot of people healed of cancer. At first, it was very intimidating. When, you, when you're praying for cancer at first, it is very intimidating. You think, wow. This is a disease that kills 500,000 people in America every year, die of cancer. That's intimidating. That's like this big hurricane, and you're thinking, oh, how am I going to calm that hurricane down? It's, it's, it's the same thing. You look at cancer and go, oh my gosh, this kills so many people. How am I going to get somebody healed of cancer? When you start out, your faith is going to be small. But as you start stepping out, and praying for people to be healed, you're going to get a testimony of one person who was healed of cancer. And that is going to increase your faith. Then you'll get another testimony, and that is going to increase your faith more. You'll get another testimony, and that'll increase your faith more. After I received probably half a dozen testimonies of people who have been healed of cancer, my faith for cancer became very, very strong. I have a lot of confidence and faith when I pray for cancer to be healed. And that is simply a matter of exercising. Faith has to be exercised. It will grow, but it has to be exercised. Part of the dynamic of 
healing is growing your faith, growing bigger and bigger faith. That's just part of the part of the process of learning to grow in spiritual maturity as a believer. Now, there are other things that are involved in healing. There is revelation. So revelation can be very important. Sometimes in order to get rid of an evil spirit that is afflicting someone, sometimes you need to know its name. Now, I don't know why that is, but I know that it's true. And if you don't believe me, just read this story about the demonized man who lived in Gadara, who was in the tombs and he lived there and he was chained up. He broke the chains. Jesus comes to him and he's, and the, the demons are speaking and they said, uh, son of God, have you come to torment us before our time? And Jesus said, yes, I have, because I just love tormenting demons. No, he didn't actually say that. So here's an interesting thing that a lot of people don't think about. When you read that account and read both accounts, there's one in the Gospel of Mark. And I don't know if it's the other one is in Luke or Matthew, but you should look at both accounts and study them because it's a really good lesson on deliverance. Jesus told the demons to come out of the man. And the demons basically told Jesus, they flipped Jesus the middle finger and they said, we're not leaving. All right, they didn't leave. Now, a lot of people say, well, demons are subject, always subject to the name of Jesus. If you tell a demon to leave in the name of Jesus, it has to leave. Well, that is really nice theology, but in actual practice, it doesn't work. Demons will not always leave just because you tell them to in the name of Jesus. Jesus himself was standing in front of a man who had many demons, and he told the demons to leave, and the demons said, no, we're not leaving. So then Jesus goes to the second step in the process of getting rid of demons. He said, what is your name? And they replied, our name is Legion, for we are many. And then they had this discussion. So the demons are like, look, we're not going to leave until we figure out where we're going. They didn't want to go to the pit because that's a place of judgment for demons. And Jesus could have sent them to the abyss, to the pit. And that's why they asked Jesus when they saw him coming. They said, son of man, have you come to torment us before our time? Mm -hmm. They were afraid that Jesus was going to send them to the pit. They didn't want to go there. So now they start the process of negotiation. Well, hey, Jesus, where are you going to send us when you kick us out? When we finally leave, where are we going to go? So the, the demons are like, hey, send us into the herd of pigs over there on the hillside. Don't send us to the pit. So Jesus says, okay, fine. You can go into the pigs. And then the demons left the man. So in the church, there's this idea that if you, if you use the name of Jesus every single time, a demon has to leave. Well, no, sometimes a demon doesn't have to leave. Sometimes you actually have to know the demon's name. And Jesus specifically said, what is your name? Once he got the name of the demon, then the demons left. So revelation from God is important. Hearing in the Spirit. This is where the Holy Spirit is going to give you words of knowledge and words of wisdom. He's going to tell you what you need to I pray for a lot of people with um, shoulder and back and neck injuries. 
I was praying for somebody not too long ago. And as I was praying for them, in my mind, I saw the word labrum. Now, most of you don't know what a labrum is. Well, I do, (laughs) because I'm a paramedic. So a labrum is part of your shoulder. So as I was praying, I commanded the labrum to be healed, because the Lord wanted me to know specifically this is the point in the place in their body that needs to be healed. It's the labrum, so command that to be healed. And eventually that person's shoulder was healed. Receiving revelation from God, getting specific information, is can be very important in the healing process. My wife has gluten intolerance. And I've been praying. Leaky gut syndrome is the, is the cause of gluten intolerance. I've been praying for her for a long time. She'd received a lot of prayer. She wasn't getting any better. One night in a dream... I, had, I, was, I was essentially crying out to God. I was like, look, I'm sick and tired of this. I need to know what we need to do to get her healed. And that night I had a dream that indicated that she needed to have her DNA healed. That her leaky gut and gluten intolerance was an issue of healing her DNA. So that is a word of knowledge, word of wisdom. The difference between a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom. A word of knowledge gives you information because knowledge is information. A word of wisdom tells you what to do with it because wisdom is applied knowledge. It's good to have information. It's better to know what to do with that information. So a word of wisdom tells you what to do with the information you have. Let me give you an example. I had a very unusual word of wisdom and word of knowledge one time. And it had nothing to do with healing. I was working on my Subaru and I was changing the timing belt, which is something I don't recommend anyone doing (laughs) unless you want a real challenge. So I'm changing the timing belt. I pulled everything off the front of the engine, all the gears. I, I was putting it back together and I had the timing marks on the on the camshaft and the crankshaft and everything lined up the way I thought it was supposed to. I'm looking at the service manual and I'm following the instructions just the way, the best way that I can. And I go to start the engine and it won't start. It won't even fire. And I'm thinking, what is what is going on? And I went back and I looked at the service manual and I looked at the timing marks and everything that I could see was supposed to be the way it was. So I tried the engine again and nothing happened. And I had been working on the car now for a couple days, two, three days. Had it all torn apart. And I was getting, I was done. I was like, we got to get this thing running. And I was so frustrated when it just, it wouldn't start. So I closed my eyes and I chilled out. And I said, okay, Lord, what is wrong with this engine? And this is what I saw in my mind. I saw the camshaft gear. And I saw the timing mark. And then uh, my vision changed and I saw another mark on the other side of the camshaft gear. That mark was bigger than the one I was looking at. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's two marks on this gear and I'm using the wrong one. So I took the engine cover, the timing belt cover off, pulled the gear off and sure enough, there was another mark on the timing gear. I took it off, I moved it to where that mark was supposed to be on the camshaft, put the belt back on, and the car started up just fine. 
So the Holy Spirit gave me mm-hmm. revelation that helped me solve a problem. I just had the, the gear for the camshaft in the wrong place, and I didn't know it. But he showed me how to fix it. So that is an example of how God can show you solutions to problems that you don't really know about. <laughs> that'll, help, that'll be helpful to a lot of guys. If you're ever working on your car and you don't know what to do, ask the Lord to give you a solution and he'll show you what's wrong. Uh, and the same thing is true with healing. So revelation from God about specific certain situations for healing is very important. And that is where it is important to know how to hear God's voice and how to see in the spirit. Because many times when I get a word of knowledge, I see it in my mind. I just see it in my mind as a word or as a picture of something. Sometimes I'll see um, parts of the anatomy. I'll see nerves. I'll see bones and cartilage. And I know a little bit about anatomy, so I know what those things are, and I'll command them to be healed. Many times what you need to do in order to, people will say, look, I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed to be healed and I haven't been healed. Well, sometimes what you need is you need a word of knowledge. You need a word of wisdom. You need a specific information about what needs to be done to get that person healed. So so now I'm going to transition into... Traveling in the Spirit, if that's okay. God started talking to me about traveling in the Spirit back in 2010. I started having dreams, and in this first dream that I had, the dream was in three parts. In the first part of the dream, two of my friends and I were being physically translocated to different places as a group, the three of us. And we were doing different things while we were being translocated. And in one of the experiences... The Holy Spirit told me, don't eat anything until you get back. So that was the first part of the dream. In the second part of the dream, I was translocated to Boston to a freeway off-ramp. I knew I had to go to Fenway Park. I asked for directions, and the guy who gave me directions said, make sure you have a hot dog when you get to Fenway. So I started walking, and I'm walking toward Fenway, and I kind of get lost, and I ask another guy for directions. He goes, oh, yeah, you're not far away. Just follow this street, go down about a mile, and hang a left, and the park, the game ballpark is right there. So that was the second part of the dream. And the third part of the dream, I was uh, in an, on an off-ramp on a freeway. I was above it on the overpass. And the off-ramp on the freeway was under construction. They were widening a two-lane off-ramp, and they were making two more lanes, and it was becoming a four-lane off-ramp, two lanes on two lanes off the the highway. And I looked down on the highway. There were very few cars traveling on the highway. I prayed about this dream for a couple of years because I knew it was a very significant dream. And some of the revelation that came out of that dream is the fact that God wants us to learn how to travel in the Spirit We can do it as groups. We can do it individually. He will do it sovereignly. He will pick us up and move us places, but we can also do it by exercising our own will. That there will be specific instructions sometimes that we need to follow. And if you don't follow those instructions carefully, you can get into trouble. And that he is increasing the capacity for people to travel in the Spirit. Right now, there aren't very many people doing it. But he desires to increase the number of people who are traveling in the Spirit for various purposes. Now, 
I have friends who travel in the spirit all the time. And and I do it quite a bit. Most of the most of the traveling in the spirit that I do, I do in my dreams when I'm sleeping. I go around and I pray for people to be healed while I'm sleeping. And you wake up in the morning and think, wow, that was an interesting dream. I was, you know, out praying for a friend of mine. And then you get a text message from them and they say, hey, thanks for coming over last night and praying for me. <laughs> You're like, what? And they will tell you, yeah, you came over and prayed for me last night. And then you're like, no, I was sleeping. <laughs> I did not come over and pray for you. But I'm getting a lot more testimonies where people are telling me that they have experienced me coming and, and visiting them and praying for them when all I remember doing was just sitting at my computer and saying a prayer for them. I have found out that I'm traveling in the spirit quite a bit more than I realized. Now, coming back to what we talked about in the beginning. You are a spirit. You exist in the spiritual world. That is your primary existence. You are a spirit. You live in a body and you possess a soul. So the mystery and the intrigue about traveling in the spirit shouldn't be all that mysterious. Your spirit is in the spiritual world all the time. It never leaves. Your spirit does not go into the spiritual world and then come out of it. Your spirit is always there. Your spirit is always going places and doing things in the spiritual world. The only question is, does your mind perceive what your spirit is doing? Because I guarantee you, most of you, if not all of you, are already traveling in the spirit. You're just not aware of it. And I'm kind of of the opinion that most of the time when we have a dream, rather than being some construct of our imagination, most of our dreams are probably cases where our spirit is traveling and engaging other spirits and other beings in the spiritual world. And our mind perceives it as a surrealistic landscape and these events that don't make any sense. As I pursue this a lot more and as I study it more, I'm much more convinced that dreams are primarily spiritual experiences, mostly that our mind just doesn't have, our natural mind doesn't have a grid for. As I seek a better understanding of the spiritual world and dreams, I'm finding that my dreams are much more relevant. They are much more interesting. They're much more realistic. And they benefit me a lot more. I get incredible insights about life through my dreams. I'm learning about what's going on in the world of politics and current events through my dreams. As my spirit engages the spiritual world and goes into the heavens, I'm learning more about those things through my dreams by traveling in the spirit. One of the things that I did a long time ago, and I would recommend that you do this, by the way. One of the things you might consider doing at night is giving your spirit permission to travel while you're asleep. The first night that I did that, my spirit went up into the heavens and went into some court in heaven and got some uh, some scrolls and some mandates from places in the heavens. I don't remember all of it, but I do remember that my spirit just took off and was gone, went into heavens and was doing stuff. Now, here is something to think about. I gave my spirit permission to do that, and my spirit 
knew what it had to do, and it just went there and did it. My conscious mind was sort of along as a passive observer. My mind was vaguely aware that something was going on in the heavens. It had something to do with getting some scrolls. My mind was passively observing this experience, but my spirit was going places and doing things and meeting people and, it, and accomplishing things that my spirit just knew it had to do. It's not always important for your mind, your soul, to understand what your spirit is doing. I've had some experiences at night where I, my spirit went into the heavens Engaged the heavens was learning like some kind of university where I was just in classes learning the entire night long. All I know is that I was learning in these spiritual experiences. I have no idea. My mind has no idea what I was learning, what the relevance of it was, subject matter, none of that. I didn't know anything about it. But many times it isn't necessary for your mind to understand what your spirit is doing. The things of the spirit are spiritual. The things of the flesh are flesh. The the things of the natural world and the spiritual world are oftentimes so different that the natural mind just does not comprehend what the spirit is doing. Don't be concerned and don't be frustrated If your spirit has experiences that your mind doesn't understand, it's okay. Your mind doesn't always have to understand what your spirit is doing. Many times I go places at at night when I'm sleeping. My spirit will go and travel and go places and do things and meet people. And I have these vague recollections of going somewhere and doing something, but I really don't know what it was. But I have learned to rest in the fact that My spirit is growing, my spirit is learning, my spirit is maturing, and my spirit has a degree of autonomy. It is somewhat independent from my soul. My soul doesn't always have to know what my spirit is doing. It's not required. And sometimes it's not helpful. Because if your spirit is being trained by by angels or Jesus or the Holy Spirit... And your soul becomes aware of what is going on. Your soul may get involved and want to stop it from happening. Your soul may not agree with or understand or acknowledge what is going on. So your soul may want to interfere and stop it from happening. I think it's a better approach to just let your spirit engage the heavens, engage the spiritual world, engage the realms of angels, the courts of heaven and the councils of heaven. Let your spirit go there and, and go there by faith and trust that the experiences that are, that are going to happen need to happen. It, it, is, it is a walk of faith to do things in the spiritual world that your mind doesn't understand. Um, but the mind can be overrated. I have written a couple of books recently. One is called Defeating Your Adversary in the, in the Court of Accusation, and the other one is called Operating in the Court of Angels. I just published the book Operating in the Court of Angels a couple days ago. And the reason I'm writing these books is I had a dream, and in the dream, I was writing these small lessons on how 
to operate and function in these different venues in heaven. Most of us call them the courts and councils of heaven. There are many different places in the heavens. There are universities. There are art galleries. There are massive libraries in heaven. There are different places where angels gather. Typically, that is called the court of angels, although it's really not a court. It's more like a council. There is the court of accusation where you can go and meet accusers, who evil spirits that are accusing you of things, and you can have those accusations dealt with. There is the court of scribes, which is a place where the records of heaven are kept. There is the court of chancellors. When you have been operating in the courts of heaven for a while, you can be promoted to a higher level of authority and do governmental work in the court of heaven. Some of that's done in the court of chancellors, court of kings. There's all these different courts and councils in heaven. And I've been writing about those. As I have those experiences, as my friends have those experiences, and as they go to these places, and as they learn, they're sharing their testimonies with me, and we're having group discussions, and then I write books based on collectively what we are learning about these courts and councils of heaven. It is a fascinating experience. Most of my books that I write are done by crowdsourcing. That's what I do. I have open discussions on Facebook, a lot of discussion questions, and uh, we compare notes. People share testimonies. People ask questions. People who have experiences and knowledge share their information. And then I take a lot of this information from the group and I write these books based on what we're learning collectively about these different things. All that is to say that there is a growing body of work, of revelation, that has to do with operating in the different places in heaven. Now, when the Bible says that we believers have been seated with Christ in heavenly places, plural, it is telling you and me that we have been granted authority and permission to sit on thrones in various places, plural, in heaven. We all have thrones in heaven. The question I have for you is, if you have been seated in heavenly places, have you been to your thrones, plural, because there are more than one of them? You all have multiple places in the heavens where you have thrones that you are supposed to occupy. And if you have not been to one of those thrones, and if you're not sitting on it, there is an angel that is assigned to occupy that throne until you get there. One of the key things that we have to learn is that if we have been seated with Jesus in heavenly places, our spirit has an opportunity to go into the heavenly realms Occupy those places, learn, grow, receive heavenly instruction, learn about our destiny, and start exercising our authority from those heavenly places. We have the ability to do that. Most of us are not doing it. Most of us, our spirits, are down here on the earth going around in circles. 
not really learning much, not really growing, and certainly not occupying our thrones in heaven. So the reason why I wanted to help you understand that your spirit is a spirit that exists in the spiritual world 24-7 is your spirit was not designed to inhabit the earth realm. Your spirit was designed to inhabit thrones in heavenly places. Your spirit was created in heaven. Your spirit will spend eternity in heaven. Your spirit right now is supposed to be occupying thrones in heavenly places. But most of us, our spirit is down here involved in all the daily chatter of our lives. And it's it's not up there in the heavenly realms occupying heavenly places. So here is something to consider. When your spirit comes down into the earth realm from heaven and is put into a physical body, there is a bond that keeps your spirit from returning back to heaven. Some people call it the silver cord. If you know people who astral project, they'll tell you about the silver cord. And you don't want to get your silver cord cut because when your silver cord is cut, your spirit gets separated from your body, you die, and your spirit stays in eternity. That is one of the dangers of of astral projection. If you astral project and your silver cord is cut, your physical body dies. So this morning, I was thinking about this, and I've been thinking about this for a long time. I believe, and it's just, just a theory, as a normal, average person who is walking through the world, before you meet God and before the Holy Spirit changes you, you have a silver cord that connects your spirit to your body. What that does is it prevents your spirit from going into the realms of heaven. It keeps you tethered to the earth realm. What people do in astral projection is they travel in what I would call the realms of the soul. They call them the astral plane. It's really a realm of the soul where your soul is traveling in these different planes and realms. They're not traveling into the heavens because the silver cord connects their spirit and their body and it tethers their spirit so their spirit cannot go into the heavens. When you are born again, when the Holy Spirit comes into you and regenerates your spirit, I believe, now I'm not teaching this as doctrine, it's, I can't find it in the Bible, but I believe that the Holy Spirit severs the silver cord that keeps your spirit earthbound. Now your spirit can travel into the heavens at will because you're not earthbound anymore. When Jesus said, he who believes in me shall have eternal life. What is eternal life? Eternal life is a state of life. It is a state of living where you're not going to die. Your spirit is not going to die. You are not going to suffer spiritual death. You have the capacity to live in eternity from that point forward. Your spirit can go into the heavens at will. And your spirit can stay in the heavens as long as it wants to. Because it's not earthbound anymore. 
It's not tethered to the earth by that silver cord. So people who travel in the spirit, if you astral project, you have to do it in these strange astral realms. And you're not able to go into the courts of heaven. And you're not able to go into the throne room. But when you astral project, because that is a different realm, it's a different dimension, and you can't access it. But if you are born again by the Spirit of God, your spirit has been changed by the Spirit of God. You now have access. The Apostle Paul said, we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. If you start reading through the scriptures and look at all the places and ways in which our blessings and our habitation, what did the writer of the Hebrews say? We are citizens of heaven. We are not citizens of earth. We are citizens of heaven. When you become a believer and you are born again, you become a citizen of heaven. Now, if you're a citizen of heaven, why aren't you living there? Why are you living down here on the earth? Why isn't your spirit in heaven? Why aren't you living and your spirit in the courts, in the councils? Why haven't you checked out your, your home in heaven? I've been to mine. It is a really cool place. And when, when you get there, we're going to party. You guys can come to my place. It's down by the beach. Really nice little home. It's not very big. So only probably seven or eight of you at a time can come down there. But I've been to my home in heaven. It's an amazing place. I am starting to live as a citizen of heaven because God has given me permission to do that. I am no longer earthbound. I can go into the heavens anytime I want. My, my spirit can live in the heavens as long as it wants to. Jesus said an interesting thing. No one has ascended up into heaven, but the Son of Man has come down. The Son of Man who is in heaven. When Jesus said that he is in heaven, is a, the way that the Greek is constructed there, it's in the present tense. What he was telling them is, I am in heaven right now, presently. Even though I am standing in front of you, I am also in heaven. Jesus said, the son does nothing of himself, but only what he sees the father doing. How did Jesus see what the father was doing? His spirit was in heaven. His spirit was in heaven with the father, face to face, communicating. The father was talking to him and communicating to him what they're going to do. Jesus' spirit was in heaven. His body was on earth. And there was a connection between them. So his mind was able to perceive what his spirit was experiencing in heaven. As he had conversations with the Father in heaven, his mind, his body, understood what they were doing. That is what we are supposed to do. Our spirit lives in the spiritual world. It is supposed to be in heaven, hanging out with the Father, hanging out with Jesus, and we are supposed to be in constant communication with the Father in heaven. We are citizens of heaven. We are supposed to be up there living in the heavenly realms. We're supposed to be ruling and reigning with Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ. We rule and reign with him. Not when we die, right now. Jesus said, he to he who overcomes I will allow him to sit on my throne with me as I have been seated with my father on his throne. We have been seated with him 
on his throne. Past tense. Not when we die, right now. And the whole discussion of traveling in the Spirit and all of these related subjects, to me, it all comes down to a question of learning to live in the spiritual world. Learning to have our spirit seated in heavenly places, doing governmental work, learning, growing into maturity. Our spirit, as it engages the realms of heaven, as we behold the glory of God, we are being changed into his image as we behold him face to face. As we behold his glory, his glory changes us. We become like him when we behold his glory. And the only way you can behold God, his, the glory of the Father is to go into the heavenly places and behold him. Stand with him. Hang out with him. Sit in his lap. Uh, go on adventures. Go into his garden. For me, ultimately, this issue of traveling in the Spirit is really comes down to spending time with the Father, spending time with Jesus, going into those heavenly places where we have been seated, finding our thrones, learning about our divine destiny. One of the most common questions I get from people is this observation, I don't know what my destiny is. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't really know what my calling is. I don't know what God wants me to do. I kind of drift from place to place. I do this, I do that. I don't really know what my calling is. I don't know what my destiny is. What am I supposed to be doing? And the way that you find that out, the way that you understand your divine destiny and your calling is to meet with God and he'll show you. He will show you why he created you. He'll show you your gifting and your talents. He will connect you to people who can help you walk that out. He will give you divine favor. He will open doors for you. He will provide financial resources so that you can accomplish what you're supposed to do. The reason why I'm able to, to make a living selling books is simply the fact that after at the age of 50, gosh, what am I now, 56? At the age of, I think, 51 or 52, I finally realized that God actually called me to be a writer. My divine destiny was to write books. I never knew that. Never considered it. Never thought about writing books until I was over 50 years old. And then it finally dawned on me because my wife and I had a lot of conversations. She talked me into considering the possibility that I was supposed to be a writer, not a paramedic. And so I started writing books. And when I started writing books... God gave me tons of revelation, tons of favor, opened doors, gave me financial resources, connected me with people because I was finally walking in my divine destiny. It is what he had planned for me from the beginning. And it took me half of my life to figure it out. And when I started writing books, I started to operate in my divine destiny. Then God gave me favor. And it's not like he can't give you favor. But his favor flows much more abundantly when you are doing the thing you were created to do. And if you're having troubles, if you're struggling to make ends meet, if you're having a difficulty, nothing is flowing and all you find is obstruction and obstacles. It's possible that you're not actually walking in your divine destiny. 
that you're doing something you were not created to do. Those of you who are watching this on Periscope, you know Adam Gingrich, John Wick of Politics. What some of you know, Adam has recently gone through an, a massive transformation in his life. He's always been in the world of politics, you know, working different jobs in government. And now he is suddenly thrown into a new lifestyle where he's having to rely on not his own ability to provide for himself financially. He has to rely on others to provide for him. But we have these conversations sometimes. And he goes, man, he goes, I'm so uncomfortable. I'm out of my comfort zone. I don't have this regular paycheck coming in. Scares the hell out of me. But he goes, I know that I'm in the flow. I just feel like I'm in the flow. Like I know I'm in the place I need to be. I know I'm with the people I need to be with. I kind of know I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, although I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know where it's going. I don't really understand the future, but he goes, I just know that I'm kind of flowing in God's will. And that is so important. If if you take nothing else away from this, understand that the most important thing you can do is find out what is God's will for your life, specifically for you. He has a specific thing that he wants you to do. He has specific talents and gifts that he wants you to operate in. He has specific people he wants you to be connected with. There are very specific things that God has ordained for all of us to do. And once you find out what that is, once you start operating in that, you are going to be in the flow of the river of God. You're going to be flowing in life, abundant, resources, revelation will come along. People will come along and partner with you who you've never met before, who will just come along and say, hey, God said I'm supposed to help you. When you are flowing in God's will, all of heaven is the resources of heaven, the favor of heaven is flowing with you. I can't stress how important it is to know that you are in the will of God. And if you're not in the will of God, life is going to be difficult. It is just going to be difficult. Things are not going to connect. You're not going to have peace. You're going to be striving. You'll have difficult friendships. You'll have difficult finances. Life is difficult when you are not in the will of God. But once you get into the will of God and you're doing the things he has asked you to do, life gets so much better. The the thing I want to stress to, to everyone listening to this is everything that we do should be done out of relationship with God. In my life, I am very, very relationship focused. I tend to focus on and nurture the relationships, friendships, that are going to produce the most fruit. The reason why I've partnered with Adam Gingrich in the way that I have is God has given me a bunch of dreams showing me that I'm supposed to be helping this guy. That partnership has borne a lot of fruit. There are certain people that I partner with on Facebook that I stay in contact with regularly because God has given me dreams and has shown me, I want you to be connected with these people on these issues for these purposes. Sometimes it's only for a short period of time. Sometimes it'll be for a month or two, and then I never hear from that person again. Sometimes it'll be for a year or two. Uh, There are some people that I've been partnered with for 10 years as friends. And we work together, we co-labor, and we tag team on different things. Relationship is huge. Being connected to the right people at the right time is huge. We are a body. 
a body has many parts that function together. Each part of the body has a different function. Every part of the body provides something important. And the body cannot function adequately unless all the parts are brought together and they're all working and operating together as a body. Without an arm, without an eye, without an ear, the body doesn't function very well. There's problems. So it's essential for us to be connected to the right people at the right time, in the right place, for the right purpose. I I can't stress enough how important it is to be correctly aligned and in the right relationships with the right people. The people that you're connected to are going to help you understand your destiny. They will give you revelation. They will give you encouragement. They'll help you understand who you're supposed to be connected with. They will help you know what you're supposed to be doing. They, They will get understanding and revelation that you don't understand and you don't know. They'll come along and tell you, hey, you know, have you thought about this? And have you tried that? And hey, I had a dream about this. Those people, God will connect you with those people to help you move forward in your destiny. When you start pursuing your divine destiny, it starts to pursue you. And as you start moving toward your destiny, your destiny is moving toward you. And when you meet, it's an amazing thing. Those are my thoughts on healing, seeing in the Spirit, hearing God's voice, and traveling in the Spirit, and a little bit about how to find your destiny and to know that you're walking in the will of God. Well, folks, that is our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for dropping by. If you're new to the podcast and you haven't been to my website, you might drop by and check out the articles I have there. If you have any questions or comments about the show, you can contact me at admin at prayingmedic.com. That's A-D-M-I-N at prayingmedic.com. You can also contact me on Facebook and Twitter. I'd like to thank you again for dropping by. I hope you enjoyed the show.